Last time on the Skip and Josh podcast. So I'm going to start with the simplest topic and it's going to last about 10 seconds and you're not going to answer and we're going to go to the next topic. Okay. So I know you're not watching the NFL. You don't watch any NFL. I've watched a total of four quarters of NFL football, I think. But I imagine you're following news around the NFL. Yes. So all I want to say is that Aaron Rodgers can go himself. You're listening to the Skip and Josh podcast with Skip Sherman and Josh Obadia. Okay, Skip, so today we're going to do our favorite REM songs, which is a great topic because there are so many to choose from. But before we get to that, uh, we're recording a little bit later than we normally do on a Saturday because both of us stayed up past our bedtime last night to watch uh, Duke versus Gonzaga in college basketball. That game was uh, started at 10.30 Eastern time. It was played in Las Vegas, neutral court. And for those who are not aware, Gonzaga is ranked number one at the moment and Duke ranked number five. And it was, you know, other than the Duke-Kentucky game that happened a few weeks ago, it's the first time that Duke has actually played like a good team. So it was a back and forth game with a bunch of lead changes and it was really exciting to watch. Did you stay up till the end? First of all, 10.30 start is like just a killer. Like, I can't even believe that I actually did stay up. Like that I actually stayed up to start the game and then I stayed up for the whole game. Like I watched the whole game and that was like, it's pretty rare to have like a regular season game, like before December, even, you know, like that has this, that, that would, that felt like a final four game. It really did. And, and by the way, to give you some perspective on the late start. So the Canadians had a game last night, which ended around nine 30. And when that game ended, I still had an hour to kill before the Duke game started. <laughs> and more than an hour because like as you sh- as you texted me the game only started at 10:48 very precise i know i don't know why they changed the tip off time i think because they knew that the football game was going to run long i mean that was a great game it was 84-81 so super high scoring both teams were running up and down the court there was dunks threes shot blocks defense like it was those are two of the deepest teams in college basketball gonzaga is a tough gonna is a tough out for anybody just because they're so big, right? Like, and Duke showed like they also are such a well-rounded team. That was really really fun game to watch. Honestly, it was really fun. So there's a bunch of uh, players on both those teams that will play in the NBA next year, if not you know two years from yeah. now. Yeah, and it reminded me, of course, and they showed highlights of it when Duke played Gonzaga around the same time of year in 2018 when Duke had uh, Zion Williamson and um, and R.J. Barrett. And then Gonzaga had, what's his name, Hachimura. Correct. And by yeah. the way, this year on Gonzaga, and, and it seems like every year on Gonzaga, there's always at least one Canadian kid on Gonzaga. Yeah, they have that kid, Nebhart, who was really great. Nebhart was actually, yeah. I think he might have been teammates with uh, R.J. Barrett in high school, possibly. I think that's right. Anyways, he was, he was uh, like a... Fairly important player for them last year, Nebhart, but obviously they had much more stars last year, and now he has a much more important role. Um, anyways, like I hope they play again. I- I'd love to play Gonzaga again in the NCAA tournament. Like obviously not at the beginning. Hopefully it would be in the final or final four, but that would be fantastic. Like it was a really fun game to watch. One thing that was really nice to see, because you know, Duke did not have a good season last season. It seems like this year there isn't only one guy that you have to rely on on Duke if yeah. you need to score a basket. There's more than one guy. There's a few guys. And especially, you know, Duke's best player, I'm putting best in air quotes, 
um, Paolo Bancaro, he had to leave the game for a few minutes. And of course, Gonzaga took advantage of that and, and took the lead. But still, there were other players on the floor that were able to score when he wasn't there, which was nice yeah. to see. The, the thing with Duke, and I don't want to get into too much X's and O's because we could do a whole Duke podcast, is like, I worry that when we're in the half-court offense, it didn't look great sometimes yesterday. We're better, like, free-flowing, like, off of turnovers or or blocks, which we had a lot of. Um, so I still think they're finding their way in terms of what the half-court offense is, but I think it's there. Like, I think the, I think the capability is there, right? Like, Roach and, and Trevor Keels almost did nothing yesterday in terms of scoring. Like... If, if one of those two guys hits like a couple of shots, then then that, that game's not even close. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. So anyway, you yeah. mentioned that you have some listener mail and I'm curious to hear it because last episode was a little bit different than our normal episode. Mailbag. Well, I only have one mail about the last episode. It's from our friend Matt Sanderson out in British Columbia. He's the co-host of the Nooks and Crannies podcast. He messaged me on Facebook saying, hey, buddy, really good episode. Just wanted to say I enjoy the listen. I got through all, all the, my uh, pounded through almost all the dishes listening to you two jabronis. <laughs> so thanks for listening, Matt. And then um, we had some um, feedback from listeners about past episodes. So, you know, f- friend of ours, Jeff, who lives here in the West Island near me, uh, said that he listened to our Beatles episode and he got into the Beatles and he added um, he added their uh, Sirius XM, the Beatles channel, to his favorites now <laughs> because he got really into the Beatles and he can't stop, you know? So, um, so um, thanks for listening, Jeff. And then a friend of mine, Cheryl, actually <laughs> sent me this crazy text at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> she was leaving for Mexico that morning. They had to leave and she couldn't sleep. So I'll just read it to you. She says, I couldn't sleep last night. I had to get up at 4 a.m. for our flight. Woke up too excited, so I listened to your Pearl Jam podcast. It was excellent. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Made me realize how much I like them. She goes, then I listened to the your Beatles podcast. <laughs> she says, and wow, I got so emotional. <laughs> she says she grew up a Beatles fan, so brought back a lot of memories. Um, so anyways, thanks for listening, Cheryl. She asked us if we'd be interested in doing an episode on the Bee Gees, and I politely said I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we, we reserve it to any band that has their own Sirius XM channel. Oh, there's a lot, actually. I know. We could do a, we want to do an episode on Pitbull? <laughs> or doesn't, um, what's the guy's name in Key West? How come I can't remember oh, his yeah. name? Margaritaville, Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a Margaritaville radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so today, Josh, we're going to do uh, R.E.M. We are. Would you consider them like the first alt-rock band? So I don't know if they're the first, but they're certainly one of the first. And the thing is, though, when they started, I didn't even know the word alternative. Like, that didn't exist. So you couldn't right. say at the time they're an alternative band because that real terminology didn't really start until the 90s. Right. So you think they made of they sort of like pioneered the category in a sense, no? Yeah, well, them and maybe even you might put Elvis Costello into that category as well because he was, you know, releasing stuff yeah. around the same time. Yeah. And even maybe That's interesting. you might even want to put Joe Jackson in that category possibly. You might, yeah. Inter- that, those are interesting comparisons, actually. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So, I mean, they, they actually formed in 1980, which I was surprised, but then they didn't release their first album until a few years later. Um, this it, is something that I've been wanting to do for all the ones we do about music. We, we never, like, tell people who's in the band. So, it's like, 
drummer Bill Berry, guitarist Peter Buck, bassist Mike Mills, and of course their frontman Michael Stipe. And they were all students at the University of Georgia, and that's how they formed the band. So, so you were saying you were surprised that they have been around since 1980. What surprised me, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, is that they broke up in 2011, and I didn't know that. I thought they were still a band. I mean, I know I haven't heard anything new from them recently, but I didn't know that they broke up. I found that out this, this morning when I was just finalizing my research because I looked it up on like Wikipedia, and it says REM was a band. Right, I saw like, that. Past tense. I was like, what? What do you mean was? <laughs> that's like, that's oh, exactly no, no, no. what I said when I read that. Yeah. So it's like, it's pretty interesting. So like they're, they're, they have an interesting history, right? Because they were like, like you said, they were like the pioneers of sort of alt rock. And then they got so popular that they were real, like mainstream superstars at one point, you know, like how did you make your list here, Josh? Like how was it difficult, easy, hard? So similar to some of the other bands we've done, I could have made I could have made two lists. There were there were enough songs yeah. to fill up two lists. Yeah. So the hard part here was how do I narrow it down? So of course I listened to all of them and then I eventually narrowed it down. And then even when I got down to seven, I still had to rank them. And that wasn't really the easiest thing to do either. But it's yeah. like, it's a good problem to have when there's too many good songs. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, oh God, yeah. I mean, I, I sort of, I use the same like system as you. I just listened to REM all week. And then, uh, then I, I wrote down like probably 15 songs and then narrowed it down to seven. And then I had trouble ranking them. I, I actually, um, there was some jockeying for a position even this morning in my, in my rankings, you know, some songs changed, but like usual, you always wait until puck drop to set your lineup. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> so, you know, what's interesting is, you know, when we, you know, we did that, that episode about our favorite concert. Yep. Okay, and I mentioned in that episode... I remember what you said, actually. I've seen R.E.M. in concert twice. And both times, I thought they were horrible. And it should have stopped me from being a fan, but it didn't. Because I still think they're really great. And I think I just... I don't know what happened. Like, I know the first time the problem was is that I didn't know enough songs. Like, I was just this casual fan. It was during the Green Tour. And every the only song I knew was, like, Stand and, like, the popular songs. And then... And then I, I think the second time it had to do with the venue. It was like at the Bell Center, but even then it was called the Molson Center. <laughs> I thought it was at the Forum. I thought I was with you. You're maybe you're right. I think it was at the Forum. It was at the Forum. And I just think the sound was bad. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird that I still have this love for REM, even though like they really disappointed me twice. But anyways. So you're going to hear me say this a few times as we go through the songs. But mm -hmm. basically... Remember how we were saying about Pearl Jam, a lot of their songs have this really slow build. Well, R.E.M.'s the complete opposite. A lot of their songs, and I think six of the seven that I picked, they all start off with a bang, whether it's a guitar or the drums or, or the bass. They all start off with a bang. So that's why I've picked those songs. And it's complete complete opposite of Pearl Jam. That's great. I love it. Number seven. So I'm going to start off at number seven. And that is the song Superman. It's from the 1986 album Life's Rich Pageant. Now, I only found out about this yesterday, Josh. 
this song is a cover song. You know, we did an episode about cover songs. Yeah. R.E.M. did not write this song. And there was a 1969 version by a band called The Clique. And I listened to it and I was like, what? I listened to it yesterday. I was like, oh my God, it's totally the same song. But like, I was just so sure that this was an R.E.M. song. Like, how would they not be? And anyway, so it's it's actually a cover. Um, it's a fantastic song. I love the harmonies, the whole, the whole, the whole thing. And I found out yesterday also that when they released the album, it was like considered a hidden track. Hmm. So meaning that it's the last song on the, on the album. And they initially, they didn't list it on the album jacket. Like it wasn't written. It wasn't listed as one of the songs. Like I think now it is, but I think initially in 86, it wasn't. So after hearing your first song, I'm wondering if we're going to have any of the same on our list. We are going to have some of the same. I can. I already know one for sure that's the same. Okay. So my song, my first song is What's the Frequency, Kenneth? What's the Frequency, Kenneth? The show begs a dream. So again, part of the reason I picked this is because it starts with a great guitar riff at the beginning of the song. Yeah. So this is from their ninth studio album, Monster, which was released in 1994. And I'm sure you're aware the title refers to an incident in New York City in 1986 when two people attacked journalist Dan Rather and they kept repeating, Kenneth, what is the frequency? <laughs> It's a crazy story. I read it yesterday a little bit and I was like, it's completely crazy. Like, and actually I read a little bit more into it. It's apparently like the police questioned Dan Rather. And then there some people were thinking he made it up. And then the doorman said, no, 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 it's all true. And like, it's, it's just, the whole thing is just weird, but that is certainly a great song. Here's another, another factoid about the song. So they had an interview with guitarist Peter Buck and he explained why the song slows towards its conclusion. Mm -hmm. This is a quote from him. The truth is, Mike Mills slowed down the pace and we all followed. And then I noticed he looked strange. It turned out he had appendicitis and we had to rush him to the hospital. So we never wound up redoing it. <laughs> so it just got slow because he was having, he had to get rushed to the hospital. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Number six. So number six on my list is probably R.E.M.'s most popular song, and that's Losing My Religion. That's from the 1991 album, Out of Time. Out of Time is, like, certainly their most commercially successful album, and I think Losing My Religion is probably their biggest hit. I don't know that for a fact. This is just out of my head. I think I think it's probably, like, their most played song on radio airplay, and it, and it, it kind of launched R.E.M. from this alt-rock band into, like, superstardom, you know? And it had this great music video with these... Michael Stipe with these angel wings and it just cemented them as this like group that like their lyrics, REM's lyrics are a big part of like their success. Like the lyrics are just always so weird and obscure. You never know what the hell they're talking about. You know, that's me in the corner. That's me in the spot. So next for me is Man on the Moon. I really like the lyrics of this song. It was released as the second single from their 1992 album, Automatic for the People. It's, um, it's a tribute to comedian Andy Kaufman, 
with numerous references to his career, including his Elvis impersonation, wrestling, and the film uh, My Breakfast with Blassie, which I'd never heard of. Have you ever seen the movie Man on the Moon? Like with No, actually, I haven't. Oh, it's a tremendous movie. I mean, it's really, really great. Andy Kaufman in the wrestling match. Yeah, 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 yeah. Monopoly 21 checkers and chess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mr. Fred Lassie in a breakfast mess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good pick, Josh. Number five. Number five on my list is also from the album Life's Rich Pageant from 86, and that's Fall On Me. Now, <laughs> I, I told you so many times, like, I don't like to look up, like, the meaning of songs because sometimes it ruins them. And I've always just loved the song Fall On Me. And it never even occurred to me to even think about what it's about. And I actually did never wanted to know what it was about. I just thought it's this great little tune, you know, with a great little harmony. And then I found out yesterday that it's about acid rain. It's like this real environmental song. Like, like that's why he says, like, he talks about the sky, you know, in the song often. And I was like, man, it's so obvious. The lyrics are so obvious. How come I never knew that? And and I guess it's because I never really wanted to know it. But I just, again, Fall On Me is one of these other songs that, like I said, like, it's their obscure lyrics that make R.E.M. great. But in this case, it's also, like, they have this very unique um, guitar sound, like this, like, jingle jangle type of guitar playing, like, that I that I really appreciate, so. That's a great pick. It was, uh, I had considered it for my list. I had to cut it out though, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So next for me is Radio Free Europe. And this is the song that starts with those four drum beats at the beginning, which I really like. This one was released, um, it was actually their debut single in 1981, although their first album wasn't released until two years later, and they re-recorded right. it and put it on that album too. So when they first developed the original song, Stipe intentionally did not want the lyrics to be understood, as he, and I'm quoting, hadn't written any of the words yet. So also when the song was played live, Stipe improvised his own set of lyrics halfway through the song. I do like that song. Um, I didn't make my list, but I definitely do like it. Number four. I'm, I'm wondering if my number four is on your list, Josh. And that's a song, uh, South Central Rain, I'm Sorry, in brackets. Did you never No, again, I one of the songs that I considered, and again, I had to cut it out at the last minute. It's it's one of the first songs um, that I really liked by REM. Like, uh, I never, I didn't have, I didn't own any of the initial albums, all the first like four albums. 
but I did have like their they had like an early greatest hits album called Eponymous, which was like all the greatest hits from the first four albums. And this was the first song from that album that I was like, oh, I love this song. But I never understood how come they don't actually say I don't actually know the name of the song. Is it really South Central Rain? Because it's S O dot Central Rain. Like they I always called it South Central Rain, but I don't know why they didn't spell that out. It's they they make a point of abbreviating it. You know, I don't know the answer to your question, but grammar does come up later in one of my songs. So <laughs> it's great. an interesting thing you, po- you point out. That's great. I mean, it's a beautiful song. Like, I just, I really enjoy this song. It's like, again, it's like a weird blend of like great guitar playing, a unique guitar sound and weird lyrics, you know, so. So speaking of grammar, next song on my list is Can't Get There From Here. This starts with the bass guitar. And it was the first single released um, from the album, from the 1985 album, Fables of the Reconstruction. The song's title does not have consistent punctuation. On the album, it's spelled without an apostrophe on the back cover, but with an apostrophe on the CD. And one version of the single has an apostrophe and the other doesn't. So who knows? (laughs) That's weird. That's super weird. I like that song also. I really do. Number three. So my my number three, I don't know if you're going to be surprised about it. I, I hadn't considered it to be in my top seven at all and i said you know what i'm gonna give this song an extra listen this week and really listen to it and and then i was like you know what this song could be number one so it ended up at number three and that's everybody hurts so that's from automatic for the people in 92 this is rem maybe at the peak of their stardom don't let yourself go It's truly, it's, first of all, it's really sad. <laughs> like, this is a sad song. This is a song that's hard to listen to sometime. It's, it's, it's really clearly about suicide. And I found later, I found out later on reading about it, it's specifically about teen suicide. Like, they wrote the song for high school kids to listen to, to, to like have a, to let them know they're not alone. You know, that's, that's all about what the song is about. You know, it's all about everybody hurts. You know, you're not the only one and it's trying to be comforting. There's a whole bunch of stuff about the lyrics, how they, they, they say that this is the one R.E.M. song that doesn't have indecipherable lyrics. It has very straightforward lyrics. And they said it's because they really wrote it for teenagers to listen to. So pretty cool and also just a fantastic song. So that's not on my list. And so far we have none the same. So next for me is an underrated song. I think it's underrated. I don't know if it was, you know, a huge hit, but I really like the song. And it's from um, Automatic for the People. And it's called Night Swimming. So Uh. I really love the piano in this song. This is one of the few songs. It's really only Michael Stipe and Mike Mills playing the piano. It's just the two of them. The rest of the band doesn't even play on this song. Night Swimming deserves a 
quiet night Like I told you, um, like uh, Automatic for the People, like they're at their peak, right? In terms of popularity, you know? And I thought you were going to say Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight, right? But <laughs> I was expecting a different song. But yeah, that's a good one. Number two. All right, so number two for me, Josh, we do have one the same, the one that I knew we would have the same, and that's What's the Frequency, Kenneth? <laughs> Made it all the way up to number two for me. So like you said, that's from the 94 album Monster, and you talked about the Dan Rather, and like, what does it mean? What's the Frequency, Kenneth? Like, again, you listen to this song, and you're like, what the hell are they talking about? But the lyrics aside, this is like a rockin', like, this is like an in-your-face rocking song. It's different than a lot of R.E.M. songs because it's it's really loud and it's it's much more guitar rock-oriented. Um, Monster, the Monster album is a lot like that, you know? It's weird, right? Because they, they came off huge successes, right? With, like, Losing My Religion, that album, and then Automatic for the People. These were huge. And then there was so much... Um, anticipation for monster i remember i ran out and bought the cd the first day it came out and i really like what's the frequency kenneth but the rest of the album is like eh, i don't know you know yeah, yeah it's one of the cds that i that i own actually next for me if you want a song that gets you pumped up right away because of the drums at the beginning you yeah. you will like orange crush from oh, the yeah. 1988 album green So I didn't know, you know how you said you don't like to find out what songs are about? Same thing. I just like, I just like to listen to songs. I don't like to find out what they're about. But so this song refers to the chemical defoliant Agent Orange manufactured by Monsanto Corporation and Dow Chemical for the U.S. Defense Department and used in the Vietnam War. Yeah, I always knew what that one was about. There's this part where they're like, there's the helicopter sounds and then he's like, we circled and we circled and like, it's like, but that's an amazing part of the song, right? Because it builds up to this amazing drum part. This is like, if you like songs with like bass, this is like a bass lover's dream, right? This song. It was, if if we our list was an eight, it would have been number eight. Like this was my top honorable mention. So Number one. All right, well, we're at number one. We are at number one. And we are only going to have one the same <laughs> because I'm pretty sure that we don't have the same number one. If we do, it's going to be shocking. <laughs> it might, could be. So my number one song is from the 1988 album Green. No, it's not Stand. No, don't worry. It's not. Um, it's a song, You Are the Everything. In the sleep, the stars are the greatest thing you've ever seen. This is one of the songs that made me fall in love with R.E.M. It is this gorgeous song with like this outdoor sound to it at the beginning. And I don't know how to describe it, but it's really it's kind of like a love song, but not exactly. Like you said, you don't really can never really understand half of what they're saying, you know. But so, (laughs) you know, that episode of the Goldbergs. Which episode? Where he makes a mixtape for Dana and then his mom thinks it's for her. Yes. 
Okay, so the title of the tape is like "You're the Inspiration" because they have the song "You're the Inspiration" by Chicago. Yeah, right on the on the thing. You know how in the Goldbergs, after like right before the credits or right after the credits, they show you like the true like what's the true part of this, like what was true in real life. The the real mixtape that Adam made for whoever was not "You're the Inspiration." It was "You Are the Everything," and it was the REM song. Was this song was the focus of that mixtape? So that leads me to believe that young Adam Goldberg in the 80s had pretty good taste in music. Okay, so my favorite R.E.M. song is, and it's not on your list, it's The End of the World as We Know It. So there's this cool drum solo at the very beginning of the song. This is from the 1987 album Document. That's great, it starts with an earthquake, birds and snakes and airplane, Lenny Bruce is not a In an interview, Michael Stipe claimed that the LB references came from a dream he had in which he found himself at a party surrounded by famous people who all shared those initials. It's a great song. It didn't make my list. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, it's a song that I'll turn up on the radio every time I hear it, you know? I always wondered if like a Billy Joel with We Didn't Start the Fire sort of copied this. You yeah. know, I was thinking that. I, I couldn't remember which song came out first, but yes, they do have some similarities. I think it's R.E.M.'s that came first. Yeah. Oh, I'm not 100% sure of that. Cool. Lo- good list. Love it. Love it. So only one song the same. Only one song the same. What's the frequency, Kenneth? And I knew we would have that song the same because I know you like that song. I but that, that one was my last song. Like, I could have been bumped off. You know, I wrote down a story that I wanted to tell you about R.E.M. Like, I, did, I thought I would l- somehow segue it in one of my picks, but... So when I was in uh, Vanier, uh, for those who are not familiar with the Quebec education system, it's like a college, junior, college pre-university program here that we have here. So when I was in Vanier, I had a class called Sociology of Art. And we just talked about music mostly. It was a great class. I did my final term paper on Bruce Springsteen. It was amazing. And so there was this guy in my class. I don't know. I can't even picture him. I don't remember his name. I don't know who he is, but like we started talking after class one day and he's like, what are you doing your paper on? I said, Bruce Springsteen. He's like, oh, Bruce Springsteen, that guy's a sellout. He was like, he's so mad at me. And I'm like, well, I'm like, you understand that like artists do want to get paid, right? Just because their music's popular doesn't mean they've sold out, you know? I'm like, well, what are you doing your paper on? He goes, I'm doing it on REM. These guys will never sell out. And then meanwhile, like the class finished that semester and whatever, I never saw the guy again. And then the next thing you know, like REM releases green and they have this single stand in the place where you live, which is the biggest pop song. Like, I think like this guy was probably like, I always imagine that this guy at that time was like, oh my God, REM sold out, you know, like, like, or like he, he, he rethought his whole, like he rethought his whole philosophy of music and his whole life probably changed when he realized his favorite band was also putting out music to make money. You know, it's kind of weird. Nice. I like that story. The Skip and Josh podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts. If you listen to the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. To interact with the show, send an email to skipandjoshshow at gmail.com. 
follow the show on Twitter, and go to Facebook to like the show page. And now, for some final thoughts from the guys. Do you have anything you want to end the show with? I really don't have much this week. Yes, thanks to a recommendation of yours, I watched a a Netflix show called Made, spelled M-A-I-D. You said it was really good, and you were right. It was really good. I was able to watch the whole thing in a week. Um, Actually, it reminded me a little bit of another Netflix show that you recommended called Unbelievable. I mean, the story is completely different, but in the sense that you know, I think that each of them are only eight or 10 episodes and they're both based on true stories. And uh, so I really, I really enjoyed Made very much. Uh, One of the things I liked about it is throughout the series, you know, every time she's spending money, they'll show you in the top right-hand corner of the screen, like the total amount she has in her pocket at that moment, which is, which is pretty cool. They show you like she has a certain amount of money in her pocket and that's it. She's just been fired from her job and she needs to get back home. But she has to take the ferry and it's like she's paying for the ferry and then she's like now she's in the minus. Like she can't get home even. Right. You know, like, yeah. The other thing I liked about it, um, there's one scene, I don't remember which episode it was, where, uh, spoiler alert, so if you haven't watched the show, don't listen to this part. She's uh, trying to find a place to live, you know, on that part of Seattle where they have a really good daycare, but you have to have a, an address in that area. So, so she finally gets the woman to agree that she's going, instead of just, I mean, she'll pay the rent, but instead of paying the rent, she's also going to do some, uh, landscaping. Right. Okay. Right. So she, so the owner says, okay, fine, you can stay. We'll take you as a tenant. And then she's so excited. She starts dancing to the song, um, um, don't stop me now by queen. Right. It's great. It's a great scene. I mean, it's the show is like full of highs and lows. Obviously, it's like some of it's tough to watch. Like when she's at her lowest lows, it's really difficult. But like, it's so uplifting when things turn around and you know things go her way, and it's a really great show. Like she's she's quite a good actress. That's that's um her mom plays her mom in the show. Yeah, right? it's like, Andy <laughs> McDowell's daughter. Although her last name yeah. is not McDowell. No, it's not. But it, Andy McDowell is her actual mom, and she plays her mom in the show too. So, uh, yeah, very cool. I realized I made a big mistake last episode. Not a big mistake, but like... And I didn't catch it? No, no. At this point in the show last week, we talked about our friend of the show, Joseph De Benedictus, and we talked about his his YouTube channel. And um, I just forgot to put a link to it in the show description last time. So I just want to re- give Joe the proper shout out that he deserves. <laughs> um, he does. He has an amazing YouTube channel where they're basically comparing um, Canadian versus American stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he has some cool episodes out this week. He takes his friend Jason to uh, Harvey's and then they go to Swiss Chalet. And like, there's obviously like his most famous episode is Canadian versus American McDonald's, which I think has over a million views. So I'll definitely put the link to his channel in the show this time so people can can check it out. So I spoke to Joe. He listened to our last episode. He heard what you said. And he's actually was annoyed that those uh, those special Timbits, they haven't come out yet because two days ago, Joe drove to Buffalo to hang out with Jason and mm-hmm. they wanted to test out the new Timbits, but they can't because they're not out yet. But I think they're coming out like any day now. It's like now, right? Right. Like, but the thing is they weren't out when Joe went. Right. I mean, he's he's a sucker for any Canadian stuff. Like he just, he's so patriotic. It's unbelievable. <laughs> 
So that's uh, that's Joe. So check him out. He deserves a, he deserves a, a few views on his YouTube channel because it's really entertaining. He certainly does. We're counting down to the rest of the year. Got like maybe a couple episodes left this year. And uh, and then the big year-end episode, which is my favorite episode of the year. Yeah, me too. All right, so uh, I don't know. We're going to have to decide on the topic for next time, but I'll speak to you then. All right, have a great week.